I just hit the record button. Oh, goody. Oh, goody. I'm always worried that what we say now is going to make it into the podcast. You never know. People are going to be listening to this while the music slowly fades up, and then our voices will just out of nowhere cut and just like drop. Welcome back to the Respond Worship Podcast. Hello. We are your hosts, Ryan and Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah. So excited, not tired at all. Hmm. Absolutely alert and awake. Yeah. Ryan, I know you've already heard this today, but you know that Green Day song, Wake Me Up When September <laughs> Ends? <laughs> yeah, what about it? That's that's my anthem. <laughs> <laughs> that's my anthem for this month. Man. Yeah, I'd, I uh, I had to be a big help for youth group last night, so I like helped set up and tear down chairs and led worship, did a, did a bunch of stuff because our youth minister was gone. And I think my diet for the whole day was two cans of soda, like a Coke and a Baja Blast, hmm. and then donuts, Cheetos, and I haven't eaten like that in a while. I felt rough this morning. That doesn't make sense at all as to why you would feel rough. No, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Well, on that note, the Respond Worship Podcast is an auditive extension of the Respond Worship Retreat, which exists to serve worship teams. We have three goals here. To inspire worship ministries for greater effectiveness. To instruct teams in worship skills. And to ignite a community of worship teams. So won't you join us as we do that? Right. Yeah, that's what this podcast is designed to do, is to potentially help create that community of worship teams. And if you could keep us in check... Uh, let us know by reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell us if we're doing that. Also, we want to hear from you. So if you have uh, some ministry wins or just something awesome you'd like to share with us, uh, we would love to hear about it. Uh, you can email us at podcast at respondworship.org. That was perfect. Thank you. Yeah, email us there. You can type it out like a little story or whatever, and we might read it on here. You can also- <laughs> We might. We might. <laughs> I want to I want to tell you that not everything makes the cut. Okay. Uh, so far, nothing has made the cut because nothing's been submitted. Right. But uh, So probably everything <laughs> will make the cut at this point. Probably. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can, you can type it and send it to us. You can also um, record it on your phone or wherever, a little two-minute audio clip, and we'd love to throw it in here yeah. if it makes the cut. Yeah. Correct. Because we have high standards here. So much um, high standards. Speaking of ministry wins, uh, didn't you have one recently where you got to add a few members to your worship I was going to say, I had two. Yeah, two, two wins. Wow. Uh, we added two new people to our ministry That's team. That's awesome. Or our worship ministry team. There we go. Yeah. 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 Uh, two college students, and uh, they're doing great. Uh, had our first one on team last week, and she... Uh, Jumped right in. We did the song God So Loved, and there's the yeah. the part and the bridge where the female kind of takes the lead. And she just jumped right in on it, and I didn't have to ask her to do it, and she she killed it. So that was awesome. That's amazing. And what then, does she do? Is she a vocalist? She play mm -hmm. instruments? Yeah, she's strictly a vocalist. Okay. Um, she's great. Um, but, you know, brand new freshman at Ozark That's Christian great. College, and um, hopefully we'll have her around for a while. So excited about her. And then uh, we added uh, another pianist to our team. Mm -hmm. And he is on team this week and he's also very interested in tech stuff. So that helps us out in two realms of things. So yeah, just grateful that, that God really brought them our way and looking forward to investing in them as much as possible and carrying through. 
So that's amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah. I what about you, Ryan? Did you have any any wins? This um. Week? Yeah, I think so. I talked about youth group last night, and uh, I think the biggest win is that, um, and I love it when God does this, even though I don't like how it makes me feel. There are just some times where um, I, as a worship minister, as a person on a worship team, feel a little unprepared, feel a little anxious about how something's going to go. Um, and so I've been pretty prepared for Sunday mornings, but for youth group, I have been like picking songs out as students show up, like, cause it's just me and my wife on an acoustic and we're like, it's super easy. We don't need to rehearse at all. We just need to make sure everything's making sound, but yeah, get a little anxious, get a little worried. And this time our uh, youth minister was gone. And so he usually lets us use his laptop for pro presenter. And I forgot he was, it was his laptop. So we um, had to scramble to find something to project onto the, in the room we're doing that in. Um, and somebody had a laptop that had it on already and it took a while to set up and I was just freaking out. And the win is that God held it together better than the other three weeks we've been doing this so far. Like this was our best week and this was the week I felt the most out of control. Hmm. And I feel like God just does that. I don't know, every three, four, six months for me where I'm like, I feel great at what I do. And then I have one time where I'm like, this is going to be a train wreck. And then God holds it together and, and mm -hmm. just reminds me like, this isn't on your shoulders. I can do what I want, when I want, where I want, for whatever reason I want. And you're just along for the ride more than you think. And so, yeah, that was kind of a win this week. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. Speaking of, I like saying speaking of and just transitioning like that. Speaking of uh, awesome worship ministry music moments, um, I want to point your attention, you, Jeremiah, but also everybody else listening. Um, we like to have little segments on here to um, highlight worship artists, other artists, uh, stuff like that every once in a while. Um, and there's an album that came out, a worship album that absolutely blew me away. And I, I don't know exactly why. I can't pin it on one exact thing that I think was done better here than anywhere else or something. But there's a, a church in Waco, Texas. It's multi-site, so it's everywhere else too, um, called Antioch Community Church or something like that. Um, and their their music side is called Antioch Music. And they released an album called Desertland. And this album was fun to listen to literally the whole way through. Um, I, the first song wasn't my absolute favorite, but every other song on it, I felt like, as a worship musician, as a worship minister, was fun to listen to, had some like deep and good content, phrased some things you've always thought of, but in a different way, um, instrumentally and, and the arrangement, like really creative and good. It was just like a refreshing, it wasn't the same old, same old. It was really good. Yeah. I've listened to a couple of songs off the album and I, I really enjoyed what I listened to as well. So yeah, yeah definitely check out Desert Land by Antioch Music. Yeah. We also like to provide a worship leader resource, if at all possible, and uh, we believe that the one chosen for today is a, a great resource, uh, not only because we're kind of talking about the topic today, yeah. um, but just in general. It's uh, James K. Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom, Worship, Worldview, and Cultural Formation. If that sounds really like heady and smart and whatever, um, it is. It's a little, it's a little deep of a, of a dig. To, to try to get into. Um, 
so this this may be a little more costly. Like like this is not a fun, light, easy, super practical, hands on resource. What this will do, though, um, along with the chapter we're talking about today, is um, help give you a vision and some framework for um, how you can use your platform on a Sunday morning, whether you're the leader or not, um, to disciple the people who are there right. to help form them into um, deeper, more strongly committed Christians. Um, which is a thing we all need to be thinking about a thing that's really important for all of us. So, um, yeah, which ties in perfectly with the chapter that we're going into in Zach Hicks book today. It's chapter four, the worship pastor as disciple maker. Yeah. Um, one of the quotes that really sticks out to me from the beginning of this, um, he says, what would it look like if a worship leader began filtering every decision they made and every action that they took through the grid? Does this build up the bottom? Mm -hmm. This is that same kind of question we were talking about. Um, with the James K.A. Smith book. Um, I don't know how much I've talked about my worship ministry story. I, I don't know if that's like the right name for it, but like how I felt called into worship ministry, what that journey looked like. But I feel like it'll it'll have to do with what we're talking about right now. So basically I was in seventh grade. I kind of played the drums. I was at a junior high camp that my church was at over the summer. And during that camp, during like this specific group worship time, I like felt the calling to worship ministry. I felt God call me to do what this worship band and these people were doing for us to, to do that for other people. Um, and from seventh grade until senior year of college, I did not like, I, I, I learned guitar a little bit. I got better at drums, but the obvious thing that you think as an American, when you think about worship ministry, is you think about um, the way a guy in Walmart awkwardly put it to me, hey, are you the lead singer of this church? And I was like, ooh, uh, close enough, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I like didn't have that singing thing. I didn't have that singing ability until I kind of had to put it together my last semester of college. So there were 10 years where I was just sitting in the background of worship ministry. I was in the supporting roles. Mm -hmm. I was never in the leading roles. I was always just like trying to support the leaders and do whatever. And um, I had this heart for worship ministry um, and this call that I felt. And so the whole time I was trying to think of like, how could I grow in the stuff that isn't singing? So how could I grow in um, knowing the right ways to do worship ministry, which was such an immature thought at that mm -hmm. time. And, um, and how can I grow on my skills to serve in a worship ministry and whatever. But there's this quote from the book that I felt like I resonate strongly with because of that period in my life and what I thought worship ministry was. So Zach, he says this, whenever I read or heard, read or heard anybody talk about Jesus, great commission, Matthew 28, and how we should all be making disciples. I felt guilty. I wasn't leading any Bible studies. I wasn't organizing a small group. I wasn't evangelizing the lost or mentoring people over coffee. I was just planning and arranging songs. And that's how I felt as a drummer mm -hmm. for a long time. I'm just playing songs. Um, he goes on to say, arranging songs, rehearsing musicians, and belting out tunes in desperate hope that someone in the congregation would sing along with me. It feels like, like the musical worship side and discipleship were two separate tracks. Um, but then he moves into this section about the encouragements that people from the congregation can give you sometimes. Mm -hmm. He said like people saying that song we sang on Sunday ministered to me while I was getting my chemo treatment, gave me a word to cry out to God or stuff like that. 
not just like, wow, what a cool song, but like, I've been going through this and that really helped me Mm -hmm. those moments. And so he connects that to discipleship. He said, because of those, I began to see these words of encouragement as way markers on the maps of people's faith journeys. I was making disciples. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I had that same turn from my, my senior year in Bible college, wanting to be a worship minister in a worship ministry degree through my first worship ministry um, at a church in Rala. I feel like it, it helped me turn my eyes from, I'm just trying to do this technical thing as well as I can because the church expects it because it can be good. It turned from that into like, I'm, I'm helping strengthen Christians in their faith. And by doing so, being a discipler, I'm helping disciple these people through what we do in an hour on Sunday. Yeah, that's good. I, I don't I don't know how much I've, I've shared of my story either, but uh, I didn't grow up in the church. And so when I had my first stint with the church, it was, well, I think I did talk about that kind of in a charismatic setting yeah. where I was just kind of yeah. playing guitar and stuff. So like, um, so that was different. But when I ever actually like actually accepted Christ into my life, um, I was a part of a small group that encouraged me to play music for the small group because, uh, they're like, Hey, you play music. You should just do this. I was like, okay. And I had no idea what that meant because like, like I said, I didn't really grow up in the church, didn't know what worship music really was. And so I just had to keep like researching and figuring out what was like how to do that. Yeah. How to do that. Like, (laughs) what am I doing here? And so I just keep playing songs, going through the rhythms, going through the motions like, Oh, Hey, you're kind of good at that. You should go to Ozark Christian college. So I went and, uh, you know, as soon as I stepped foot on campus, I knew that's where I needed to be. And then, you know, started going through school. Uh, I always say I was drinking out of fire hose and that's what it's been like for me yeah. since becoming a Christian. just like constantly being poured into, but I never really had a whole lot of time to process those things. And so uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with what you're saying, Ryan. Like we're, we were both at stages where we kind of felt like the animatronic, uh, yeah, the Chuck E. Cheese, Chuck e. Cheese band. band, you know, like we we're, are... we're going through the motions. We're just yeah. kind of, we're here and we're, we're doing the things because that's what we're told we need to do. But I think all of us have to start out in that phase, honestly, yeah. like that's, that's where we all come out of. Um, so there's, there's an immaturity to this, but I think the maturity aspect is where Zach is really trying to get with his chapters. Like, yeah, let's take the roboticness out of this. And now let's make disciples with the way that we're doing things. Yeah, I remember a time in, in my worship ministry life where worship was the means and preaching was the end. Yeah. So I, I like remember being trained that like you should attempt at least to like line up some song themes with what the sermon's about. And that's not bad by any means. That's a totally right. fine way yeah. to do things. But the the thing in my heart that was driving that, and I don't know if I learned this or if I heard this from other people and just took their word for it or whatever, was in my heart uh, and my mind while I was doing that was like, I'm preparing their heart for this other thing that's going to do the real work. And it might not do the real work if I don't prepare their hearts enough. And so in my head, worship ministry was like, Hey, this isn't the real thing. This is the preparatory thing for the real thing, which is preaching, which is why I love. And in the next uh, section, he talks about the heart of the great commission, this call to make disciples. Um, and so one, I think Zach would agree with this and and we'll run into it later if we haven't already, um, that when we say worship and yeah, we did run into this in the doxological philosopher chapter three um, of this book that um, there is worship 
there's Christian worship, and then there's gathered yeah. Christian worship. Yeah, the concentric circles. Yeah. yeah. And so, but even within gathered Christian worship, it's hard because we have this culture of saying like, I love worship music, or I love like listening to worship music. And then we just cut off the word music and we're like, I love listening to worship. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Right. <laughs> do you mean you love listening to monks chant a psalm? Do you love listening love to people give out bread at a at a homeless shelter? Yep. Do you love listening to but what we mean by that is like I love listening to Hillsong. Right. Which is different. So as soon as we back up and see that worship is not synonymous it's, it's with not music. music. Yeah, yeah. It's also not just the hour on Sunday, but it certainly is that. We can see that that both preaching and music as well as communion, baptism, prayer, reading scripture, etc., they are all worship. Right. And so as, as we back up, he says this awesome thing, page 52, says the two ways Jesus calls us to make disciples, and this is a reference to Matthew 28, um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them uh, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing and teaching. So Zach says the two ways Jesus calls us to make disciples are baptism and teaching. Actions that find their principal expression in gathered worship. Mm. So what Jesus tells us to do in order to make disciples are things that we are doing on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Like, what do you mean what you're doing on a Sunday morning isn't discipling people? Mm -hmm. What do you mean you feel like the Chuck E. Cheese band? Maybe like there's some steps you can take to improve that now that you have that mindset of we're... We're making and continuing to help form disciples in a group way. But like what you're doing isn't just a means to the end of preaching or to the end of communion or the end of the altar call. What you're doing is the end. It's it's part of the end. Mm -hmm. You're giving people words to say when they have that, that terrible thing come up in their life, like chemo. You're, you're giving people um, answers to some of their doubts. You're giving people words to say, to cry out. You're giving people words to say to be thankful yeah. for God blessing them. And, and so like, like what we are doing does matter. Mm-hmm. Even if we played Lion in the Lamb a hundred times, <laughs> right. that hundredth time, God could still use it. The, the truth within that song to connect to a person, to wake somebody up to um, his will for their life um, in small or big ways. And, and yeah. Yeah, I think there's uh, also a big warning within the intro that, that Zach is addressing as well. Yeah. Um, because I think we talked about it before, the whole Brene Brown scarcity issue. You know, we're constantly oh, yeah. seeing other people and what they can accomplish um, within their ministries and through their musical worship. And so, you know, some the perception that a lot of people have is like, hey, let's do that because that's what's going to make our church grow. That's how we're going to help these people Yeah. Um, when that's not always the case. Yeah. We were just talking to Corey Scott, our, the, the president of Respond, the <laughs> chief executive, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, our grand leader. Anyway, Daddy. we're just talking to him today. <laughs> Daddy Corey. Uh, we're talking to him and uh, he said this awesome quote from a guy named Chip Ingram. He said, comparison always leads to carnality. Mm-hmm. Um, you may need to sit and think on that for a while, but right. uh, what he's basically saying there is like, like the moment you compare yourself to another church, to another church's worship ministry, to another church's tech team and production level, to another church's attendance, to another church's facilities and yeah. whatever, the moment you compare yourself to, to 
another in that way and feel discontentment or feel pride from that, it will lead to carnality. Right. You will be thinking about purely physical, selfish, like not physical, like material things. You're not thinking about being empowered by the spirit to do what he's calling you to do in this, mm-hmm. in this place with right. these people in this You're moment. You're called to do what other people are doing is what that feels like. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like if only I could do it like this other person. I just need to copy and paste and everything will be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is why I love the next section. We're just moving right along. Right. Um, it's called build your body, not your ego. And this is always a great thing to say. And it, and it really fits here. Um, as we think of our worship leading as a disciple making enterprise, this quote from Zach, we must first leave behind any notion of celebrity or rock stardom. Right. Yeah. And that goes back into a previous chapter as well, where we talked about, you know, the worship leader shouldn't be a rock star. We shouldn't have that rock star mentality. Yeah. But that rock star mentality is the comparison mm-hmm. mentality. Yeah, exactly. Like Chip Ingram said, like, like daddy Corey said, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Comparison always leads to carnality. Right. Every time you as a worship leader want to feel like a rock star as a goal, or you do feel like a rock star because you're like beating everybody else at this game, you are drawing whatever attention down from God's purpose for your worship ministry in your church, mm-hmm. from God's calling on your life through the Holy Spirit and his empowerment of you. You're ripping all that down to, to you being the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, we can learn from each other. Yes, we can disciple each other and help each other grow in Christ. But the second you, you're tempted to um, have other goals other than um, joining the Holy Spirit's mission of discipling people, then you're off course and you're going to get drawn down to that carnality, that, right. that materialism, that, that like vain comparison. Yep. You're going to lose it. So kind of the, the remedy is this other quote from that, that section the guiding question for a worship pastor as disciple maker is, does this build up the body? And that question serves as the umbrella for everything we do in worship. Right now at this moment, if you are a worship team member or a normal congregation member, and when I say worship team, I'm definitely including the tech team in there. Right. Yep. If you are like not the leader, I know this kind of sounds like the leader disciple making sounds like the leader's kind of role. No, this is a mission Jesus gave everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not have the power and the authority within whatever structure your church has to, to do big group things, to like lead from a microphone things for, to help disciple the congregation in that way. Um, but if, if God is the power for disciple making, then you have the power of prayer at your fingertips at every moment. Um, you as a rhythm electric guitar player, as a drummer, as a bassist, as a keyboard player, as the lyrics person, as a front of house room sound person, as the lighting person, you as any of those people always have the power of prayer at your fingertips. You always have the opportunity before the service, during the service, after the service to go on autopilot with what you're doing mm-hmm. um, and stop and pray for people. Pray for just as God did with Pharaoh and some other people. God to, to soften hearts and change the condition of people's hearts, mm-hmm. um, for, for God to show up in somebody's life that week in a, in a special way for God to be present with somebody through a difficult situation, through a, through a tense situation of waiting. Um, you always have that power. So yeah. this isn't only for leaders, right? This is, this is for 
everybody. So something I would I was thinking through that is like, what are some practical ways that we can allow that space for us personally as leaders um, to be able to pray over our congregants? I mean, obviously we can we can do this within a vertical mind frame as yeah. we're you know leading horizontally, but you know on a practical standpoint, if we just, if we divvy out the leadership between our worship team on a Sunday morning, yeah. as long as we're not the one person constantly leading a song, you know, if we have somebody else lead something, then that gives us the room and the space to yeah. actually be praying over our congregation as somebody else is leading a song. I kind of think of that. This is almost a sidetrack, but I'm definitely answering that question. Yeah. Um, on computers, there's a thing called Ram random access memory. And that's kind of like how many things it can multitask at one time. If it's, if it's using too much RAM, something's using too much RAM, it's going to have a hard time keeping up because it can't juggle everything you're doing. Right. I feel like for, for worship leaders, people at the front, um, when you're leading a song, you're using more RAM. You're using more of like your multitasking ability. And when you're not leading a song, you're using less of it. Mm-hmm. You can go a little more in autopilot. That's the same thing with like how well you've practiced yeah, it. Exactly. How, how yeah. muscle memory is your instrument and these songs this mm-hmm. Sunday. The more muscle memory it is, the more the the less it's using your multitasking ability. So two things: one, for anybody on stage, anybody in the tech booth, anybody anywhere, like I said, you can stop, mm-hmm. you can you can go on autopilot, and you can just pray. If you're in the tech booth, pray for people looking at the back of their head. Mm-hmm. If you're on stage, pray for people looking at their face while they're not paying attention, while they're asleep, while they're on their phone in the in the pew or the seat or whatever. Uh, but one thing I did for my worship team in Rala before I left, which I, I loved and I, I want to start doing here, is at the beginning of rehearsal, I would lead it. I would talk a little bit about what the service was going to be about. Hey, we're preaching on mental illness or we're preaching through First Samuel and this is the chapter we're in or whatever. And I'd, I'd come up with a couple like concerns that could meet our congregation based out of that. Mm-hmm. They were always kind of general because like, yeah. Because First Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant is like throwing down the the idol of Dagon in the Philistine temple when they have like not many people that, that involves nobody in our congregation yeah. directly. But but I'd come up with a few questions. So like we're talking about um, First Samuel chapter three this week. Um, so we're talking about little boy Samuel hearing God's voice and and uh, needing to respond to it. Can these three volunteers over here? pray for the children in our church mm-hmm. and their parents and pray for God to be working in those families. While we only get them an hour or two hours a week, be praying for God to be working in those families and their hearts and their disciple making process um, to help them raise up their kids in a, in a godly way, knowing God, knowing the scriptures um, Would this group over here, pray for those people who are seeking and who are waiting um, to hear God's voice and to respond with, um, speak Lord for your servant is listening and then listen. Um, and so I'd, I'd have these little pockets of volunteers on stage and in, and in the tech booth and have them take turns 30 seconds in a circle each, um, praying for that one issue that their little group has Mm -hmm. that way I'm activating them as pastors, even though they're just volunteers. Right. Um, and some of them are afraid to pray in front of people, but if it's two or two other people, like it's only two people going to hear you. If you have a hard time, praying in front of people. Why do you not have a hard time singing in front of people? Right. <laughs> it seems like, like just a mental block or any, and whatever. But that was, that was a thing I tried to use to help remind them, Hey, as long as you're on the stage with me, even though I have the title, 
worship pastor, mm-hmm. you're being delegated the role of worship pastor. Yeah. If the new person walks in, they have no idea who's in charge. I don't have a name tag on that says I'm special. <laughs> I'm, I'm paid a salary to be the, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of thing, giving them opportunities and moments to pray for the congregation, to yeah. practice caring about them right, and wanting the best for them is super, super powerful and important. Yeah. Something that I always pray, and I might've said this before too, but something I always pray with our worship team is help, help us to get out of the way so that you can be seen. Yeah. And uh, one way that I've been doing that practically within our worship ministry is keeping all the songs in the same key. Oh yeah. So that, you know, we don't have to think about transitions or yeah. Uh, chord changes most of the time because you know a lot of the worship songs are the same four chords. <laughs> so when you're you yeah. know, playing two songs back to back that are in the same key but they're the same four chords, you don't have to you don't have to think about that. Like you can just flow right in. Everything is just seamless, and yeah, um, you can allow for for more opportunities just to be present and to to either pray or just to um, yeah. yeah allow the spirit to work. I've seriously found that as a worship pastor or worship musician. That's the most stressful time in the service. It's the time where you have to go from one song to another. Yeah. It feels like uh, when a fighter pilot is landing a plane on an aircraft carrier. Have you ever seen that? Mm -hmm. They're flying a jet plane going so fast. They have to slow down and they have to land at the perfect spot for a little hook on the bottom of their plane Mm -hmm. to catch a little rope. That's going to slow them down so they right. can slow down in time. And it feels like that. It's like, we got time this right guy. <laughs> we got time this right. Uh, and he catches and you're like, okay, good. Yeah, exactly. That's like, and, and so like, how can we, that's a great idea. How can we um, eliminate the stress and eliminate some of the RAM used, some of the multitask ability used that occupies our mind so that we can focus more on caring about those people and, and discipling those people. So um, we've, we've talked a lot about how we do that for our worship team, but yeah. like how, how are we making disciples through the worship service with the people yeah. in our congregation? Like, how are we, how are we helping to make them disciples? So if you've been waiting for how this James K.A. Smith book called Desiring <laughs> the Kingdom applies, this is it. So Zach quotes this guy in the middle of this uh, chapter and he say, he says this, we are essentially desiring creatures driven more by what our hearts truly love or affections rather than fundamentally thinking creatures driven by information, ideas, and arguments. And right. I think there's been a, a, a good 300, 500 year trend. Um, you can, it's the enlightenment, it's modern thinking. We can, everything has a scientific explanation. Everything's black and white. It's all of that, that, that has been driving our churches for a long time. It's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. but it, it leads us to assume that we're thinking creatures that if we have the right information, we will be discipled well. So, so people think discipleship is Bible studies and Bible literacy and knowing more about the Bible. And that's not bad. Mm-hmm. We, we, me and Jeremiah both have, or are pursuing masters in, uh, after already having a bachelor's in, in ministry and Bible and all that, um, are pursuing masters to further our education in our faith. Right. So we're definitely not against information. But we can be tempted to think as people trying to care for the other people that if only they had this piece of information, then they'd be like a true disciple. Then they'd be, they'd take their next step. And James K. Smith is saying, no, we are desiring creatures. We are affectionate creatures. Our hearts are drawn to what we love, not what we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a good anthropology thing, like a study of human beings thing to understand as we're trying to 
to care for these people best through the worship services. Yeah. So Zach goes on to say, if our loves are formed and ordered rightly, the rest behavior, thinking, etc., cetera, uh, is likely to follow. It's a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly. That's the goal of the worship service and discipling is discipling your loves and your affections. Right. Yeah. I always use the metaphor of like a deep diver. So like, oh, yeah. you know, he's, he's diving down deep, diving down deep. And that's kind of where um, James K. Smith is getting with this, with this uh, quote is that we're fundamentally thinking creatures driven by information, ideas, and arguments. Like that's that deep dive. So you're going deeper and deeper. It gets darker and darker as you yeah. get deeper into the water. So your, your vision is getting more distorted. You know, you're, you're, you're very focused on these, these things and these facts and everything that's here. Um, but you have to come back up to the surface for breath, right? Yeah. So the coming up for breath is like the thing you need to live. Mm -hmm. And the deep dive is the thing you do to explore and maybe grow in other ways, but it's not nearly as necessary right? as, 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 uh, the affection, the desire, the love, the, the thing you care about and the Mm -hmm. thing you, you prioritize your life around. Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and I think the the fact that um, worship needs to be aligned around our desires rather than our information um, helps us understand the point of the worship service and, and how it functions in our lives better. I think this is also a James K. Smith quote, but at least at least this phrase in here is, uh, they say, worship functions as a habit-forming pedagogy of desires. So that word pedagogy, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that word is like, like basic training mm. for children. Teaching, Think like yeah. elementary school teaching a kid to read. What so that like process looks like. Teaching desire, pedagogy yeah. of desire. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like trying to teach the basics of desire. So worship functions as a habit, habit forming, basic teaching on desire, um, whose practices aim, help aim our hearts toward the right end, Christ and his kingdom. The best worship is filled with rituals of ultimate concern. So it's training us um, to do right desires. It's training us to want the right things, to love the right things, to desire the right things, which is why I think desiring the kingdom is a great name for his book. Anyway, you can do a deep dive down that, uh, down into that book. Um, I should have mentioned this earlier, but that is his more worship ministry, uh, yeah, kind of leader centric book talking about that thing. It's the first of a trilogy. Um, but he has a more general book called you are what you love that deals with the same topic more on the individual level. Um, so if you're, if you're daunted by how big that book looks or how scary it looks, if you're not the leader and you just want to know the concept in general, if you want a lighter read, get that other book, um, You Are What You Love. Both of them will be a great resource. Um, but the, the point I'm trying to make is the worship service um, is giving you habits to help you form your desires. Right. Right. So we're helping people build habits uh, so that we can help them align their hearts toward God's better. And that's that's what equipping the saints is all about. Yeah. And in Ephesians 4, uh, it talks about uh, that, that we are all saints, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to, to equip the saints for the good work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, so we are we are called saints and, and we're here to build build up the body. And uh, 
the ways that we do this, there's two ways that Zach kind of explains this. Uh, so he says, first, we equip people for ministry to God. And second, we equip people for ministry to one another. Yeah, he specifically mentions that it sounds weird to say that we uh, equip people for ministry to God. Right. It sounds, <laughs> for lack of a better term, it sounds kind of pagan. Sounds kind of like, let me let me show you all the rituals so that you can give God the right sacrifice, whatever. But like in in all worship, we are responding to God. Respond, because that's the name of our... <laughs> in, in all worship, we are responding to God. God has made the first move in creating us. He made the first move in redeeming us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's made the first move in calling out to us to restore this broken relationship. Um, and so in worship, we are responding to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is ministry to him. That is trying to do something in a, in a particular, not a particular way, like it needs to be done in certain ways and not others, but, but in a, in an intentional way to try to respond to God and give back to him. Right. So there is a part of that. That's, that's your spiritual disciplines. That's, um, prayer and reading scripture and, um, being transformed by the Holy spirit. That's ministry to God and, and offering up praise back to him for the great things he's done. Uh, that is the first way. And the second way is equipping people for ministry to one another. Right. So that kind of plays into the great commandment, love God, right? So equip people to ministry to God, love God, and then equip people for ministry to one another. So love God, love others as yourself. Yeah, Paul talks about this in uh, how we minister to others. The second point in Colossians three sixteen and seventeen. This is a passage I've heard a ton, um, but it is it is talking about ministering to one another, and it is talking about teaching and admonishing each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the cool thing is this: this is the scripture where it says teaching and admonishing each other, and then later it says uh, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, Zach makes an exegetical, that just means trying to dig out what the scripture means, an exegetical point here about that verse. It's kind of in the footnotes. You got to dig for it. Um, this is where the extra credit happens and you get those bonus <laughs> points wherever. Um, but he says that grammatically, he's saying that we teach and admonish each other by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like as, as, as we sing and, and, um, talk about God through our songs, respond to God through our songs, um, display Christian maturity through our songs, um, display right desires through our songs. Um, we are ministering to each other. We are teaching and admonishing, admonishing kind of meaning reprimanding to correct, like helping reorient people toward the right stuff. Right. right. Um, so we are doing that discipleship thing through Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, through the songs we sing. And that's why it's important to choose songs that um, have some theological significance (laughs) that can actually help disciple and build up. It's like, it's like if, uh, if there's a school for how to be a successful married person and all they taught you to do was like fill up the gas in her car before she goes to work. And you were like, I got it. Mm-hmm. I got everything I need to know to be a married person. You'd be like, man, you're missing out on a lot. Right. There's a whole lot. Um, but if you want to know more about that, that is going to be on our episode talking about chapter six, the theological dietitian, choosing what we're singing about. 
Um, so stay tuned for that. We're coming back to that. But um, as as we're talking about this this discipling thing that we're doing through worship, um, Zach says this: when the people gather and are led in worship through singing, prayer, hearing, offering, and receiving the word in preaching and in communion and baptism, we are equipping the saints with the tools they need to minister to God in a way that pleases Him. So a lot of stuff we do in in gathered worship is training people for what they can do at home. Right. So at home, you can totally sing and pray and hear God's word. If you have the Bible app, a lot of the translations on there, um, will like you can get it to read it to you. You can hear mm-hmm. God's word right. um, the way that the ancient Jews often heard it, the way that Paul's uh, letters were received by the churches he was reading to. Um, you can do offering at home just by doing simple acts for other people, doing... Um, giving money to people in need, giving your time and your resources to other people. Right. And uh, so a lot of these things to help us minister to God at home on our own, of our own volition, are things we're being trained to do in the worship service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how we're forming people in the gospel, right? By yes. equi- equipping them with the gospel. Yeah. So this, all of this is, is uh, so there's a, there's a book by Michael Gorman called, oh, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, but it's like cruciformity. Oh yeah. Yeah. The yellow book. Maybe. Is it yellow? It's uh. called something like that. It's, <laughs> I think the subtitle is like leading a cruciform life. All shows, that's talking shows about how is how much of an academic I am. Oh, about the yeah. yellow book. <laughs> the yellow book. I do that all the time. Yeah. I feel like a, it's like, it's like when people used to listen to CDs, they're like, what's your favorite song on that record? They're like, track 10. And you're like, what is that? I don't know, but it's track 10. But it's number 10, yep. Yeah, that's a that's a joke for all our uh, 28-year-olds and above out there listening. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's talking about this cruciform idea, um, forming your life, your person, um, and your priorities and your money and all those all those kind of things in the shape of the cross. Yeah. Uh, in the shape of Jesus crucifixion. So living a life that looks like Jesus, living a life that looks like self-sacrificial service, Mm -hmm. service at expense to yourself. Right. Um, Which is what Romans 12 says, right? To live our lives as living sacrifices, fully pleasing to God. Yeah. Yeah. This is your spiritual Spiritual act of worship. worship, Ooh, comes back around. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this is, we're, we're not just forming people um, to love God and like that's the total extent of this, but we're forming people to look like gospel Christians, people impacted by the power of the gospel. Zach Hicks says this, for too long we have believed that the gospel is our ticket in to be left at the door as we begin the long road of discipleship. That's that's basically like what every church's discipleship plan seems to be, right? Is that we just get people into the into the church, we get them baptized. There you go. Yeah. That ninjas leave them. Like, it's, and, like and just a, expect God to work in and through them without giving them any. Yeah. There's a conversion plan, plan yeah. but there's not a growth plan. Right. Exactly. And they're like, those are, those are different. We need different ministers over them, different teams, different or whatever. Maybe that's a bigger church model. <laughs> if you're at a smaller church and you're the guy, like I get, you may not have a hundred people right. to, to delegate to these different things, but, um, but it's it's like there's this weird separation where the gospel is for people who don't know Jesus, mm-hmm. and once you've got the gospel or heard the gospel or accepted right. the gospel, you're good. Whatever, <laughs> you're good, and that's that's totally not it. But if that's how you think about it, that's where you tend to think that 
worship that happens on a Sunday morning, which includes preaching, mm-hmm. but also music and prayer and scriptures and communion and baptism. That's where you think that that's not valuable. Mm-hmm. These people are already Christians. Like, what do they need? Right. No, but it's, it's discipleship. It's mm-hmm. continuing to cruciform people, right. continuing to help them look like they've been impacted by the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Hicks puts it this way. Formational practices can only be as formational as they point us to and orient us around Jesus' work in his life, death, and resurrection. Beholding Jesus' saving glory is the means of transformation. Right. Notice here, and I hope nobody gets mad at me for saying this. He doesn't say baptism is the means of transformation. Baptism's a part of it. Baptism is a thing it's Jesus the, called us a, to do in Matthew step, 28. Yes. <laughs> but like, it's powerful because Jesus is there working in us yes. through it. And Jesus is working through us for the rest of our lives, as long as we're submissive to him. And so this is why, so there's a cool practice that if you've ever been to a, a high church, you've probably seen. And what I mean by high church is like Roman Catholic and right, Anglican, right. whatever. I think I've talked Lots about Lots of stained before. glass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember my first time walking into a Catholic church and they have that little like, like pool fountain thing at the front. Kind of like a bird. Yeah. Like a bird bath. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Again, not trying to be irreverent, but that's, that's what it looks like to me who knows nothing. Um, I walk in there, that's their baptistry. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole big conversation, like baptizing infants or not believers, baptism, whatever. Here's what you need to know though. When they walk in. They were baptized in that baptistry if that's if that's where they grew up. Mm-hmm. If they if they were born and raised in that church, that's the baptistry that they got baptized in. Mm-hmm. When they walk in the church, they dip their hands in the water that they were baptized mm-hmm. in. Hopefully somebody changed out a cleaner or something. <laughs> but they dip their hands in that same water, in that same little birdbath looking thing in the baptistry. And then they touch that cold water on their forehead and then their chest and the left and right shoulder, mm-hmm. and they make the sign of the cross on them. Every Sunday when they walk in, they are remembering their mm-hmm. baptism. They're remembering go, their commitment to Jesus. Right. To go even further on that, it's it's typically in a fountain setting. Yeah. So you're constantly hearing the water trickling, which is constantly yeah. reminding you of your baptism and the water yeah. moving and flowing over you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I love because it's it's not a division between evangelism, discipleship, between conversion and growth. It's like it's and and for them, baptism is about conversion, but that's a second separate topic. Um, but it's it's like baptism is the starting point, and I don't leave it there. Right. I carry baptism with me every day of my life. When I I remember when I was being baptized at about eleven years old. It was like, uh, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Holy Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, whatever word, identifying you or, or relating you to his death as they plunge you under the water and and raising you up to life. So you're, you're identifying with Jesus' life and death in that moment. So as you're remembering your baptism every Sunday um, in one of those churches, dipping your hands in the water, you're remembering how you, just like Jesus, have been lowered um, beneath the surface. Right. Identifying with his death. And you've been raised up out of that, identifying with and following him in his new life. Um, it's an important thing to to practice, to remember, to live in. For you who may not be going to a high church like that, every time somebody gets baptized at your church, like think about that. Think about your own baptism. Think about what you've um, committed to. Think about how Jesus has worked in your life since your baptism right. continued to work in you. Right. Yeah, that's good. 
something that uh, we've done at Blenville is we've actually oriented our room in a way to kind of develop these uh, these formational ideas or practices, the way that we think about how our service is structured. So we moved our pulpit and our communion table into the center of the room. So it's not on the stage, like the preacher doesn't preach from the stage. He comes down to the floor level, or we just have a little tiny platform with the pulpit and the communion table in the middle. Um, and that's supposed to, to show everybody that what we are doing on a Sunday morning is all focused around word and table. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so ultimately everything leads to the table moment. That's how we really structure our, our, our time is we're, we're here to remember what God has done for us um, through the act on the cross and yeah. communion. But um, this is that. this is this is the meat of like why we are here. We're here to proclaim the gospel together. Like this is how we are equipping them with the gospel is in the way that we've actually oriented our room. Yeah, I I love that. It it really plays into um, this other thing Zach says in this chapter. It says worship practices may be inspiring and habit forming toward many ends, shaping us in all kinds of ways. But those practices will not form us into disciples of Jesus Christ unless they form us in the gospel and equip us with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love what you were talking about with the, the, the communion table and the pulpit being at the center of your room um, is that they're not just forming you somewhere. They're forming you in the gospel and equipping you with the gospel. Mm -hmm. They're drawing everybody's attention toward um, the centrality of the table and, um, and if, if you don't understand how that connects to the gospel, that's that's like the end goal right. of Jesus' saving mission is to be able to adopt you as his his father's sons and daughters, as his brothers and sisters, um, and to be able to wind up in eternity with him sitting at his family table, enjoying the intimacy of a family dinner with him, uh, being brought into like the perfect example of love that goes beyond all understanding. And so having the table at the center is super cool. Cause it's right. like, it's like we get to live with Jesus forever and we're starting right now. Yeah. And this, this might be a pretty, this is a bold statement. It might make some people mad. So I'm sorry. It'll make me mad for it sure. It probably will. But if you think about it, like the cross is like our big symbol in Christianity, right? Yeah. But if you look at the ministry of Jesus, like the table was the image, right? He was yeah. always around a table with people. He was just, he was just, the table is just central. It's central to his ministry. Can I, can I tie this together? Yeah. Okay. The cross is the hinge of Jesus ministry. Mm-hmm. The pivotal point that changes everything. Right. And the table is before and after and everywhere else. Yeah. The cross is the means to the end, which is the table. So, so he's having, we're getting way theological on this one. Uh, <laughs> if this is not what you signed up for, I'm so sorry, but <laughs> we're equipping he, you with the gospel. It's okay. <laughs> he his the thing he did right before being arrested, um, was the last supper and then praying on the, in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, but it was his last supper with his disciples, his last table fellowship meal among many in right. his ministry. Cause remember he had meals with, prostitutes and sinners. He had meals with his disciples on various occasions, all the feast holidays, all those. Um, His ministry was centered around meals and meeting people and, and communing with people in that way. And the last thing he does before he's taken away is have a meal with his disciples. And it's such an, like a cool, intimate, friendly, loving moment. Um, Then he's taken away 
to this to this hinge moment in all of history. Um, he's crucified. He dies. He reappears. And where does he reappear? First at the tomb to Mary, and then to his disciples hiding in a room, probably where they're living, probably where they're eating. Right. And then he, in different gospel accounts, he appears the road to Emmaus and Luke, um, the the two guys there talking about him, and he shares a meal with them. Mm-hmm. And when they see him at the meal, they're like, wait, that's Jesus. Because they saw how he mealed. They saw how he right. like, did meals. And they were well, like, wait they, a minute. They attached Jesus to the table. Like that's, yeah. that was their yeah. symbol for Jesus. Yeah. The yeah. cross was the price. Right. The, the table is the prize. Anyway, okay, that got super theological, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, such a discipling right. tool, though, to have the table at the middle. You're mm-hmm. you're forming people to to want to love Jesus and to want to um, like have their love tank filled up by the table on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. By like having a meal with Jesus, the risen, living, breathing Jesus. I like every Good Friday. You always want to like talk about how Jesus. It's like not doing hot. Mm-hmm. He's he's getting tortured. He's getting crucified. The Sunday is coming. Every Easter Sunday, I want to remind people, <laughs> Jesus is doing pretty good right, right. now. <laughs> like he's doing pretty all right for himself. Uh, he escaped death, actually overcame death. He's like, he's like doing, he's doing good. I mean, if Don't you think about, about the battle scene that happened oh, yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah. Like for Good Friday, that. Yeah. That in itself, that's like, I think Jesus is doing pretty okay. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's not, he's not currently hurt in right. any way. Right. In, in like a physical way. He's, he's strong. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Hey, if you've never thought about that, um, if you'd like us to have an episode about like communion or baptism or this table whole thing or Jesus's battle in hell, Jesus battle in hell. Yeah. Sure. Anything like that. Um, let us know in the comments. Send us an email at podcast at respondworship.org. Nailed it. Um, send us a carrier pigeon, uh, whatever, smoke signal. Let us know. Um, we'd love to know if that's something you're interested in, and we'll take a break from this book at some point and do something like that. But um, You've heard us ramble a lot at oh, this yeah. point. A lot, a lot. Maybe we just feel like that because it's been a long day for both of us, and we're still yeah. trying to piece all this together. Um, but we do, we do have one more section. From last this section. chapter, this is the last section that we'd like to to approach yeah. and to leave you with. Uh, make making disciples beyond, beyond the worship service. Yeah. yeah, if you've ever been to Bed Bath and Beyond, this is that third section, the Beyond, the beyond section. section. <laughs> yeah, making disciples beyond the worship service. Um, Zach you just Hicks. bedded. You just bathed. Yeah, you just bathed. <laughs> you just bathed. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? Probably bathing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Zach Hicks says, uh, page fifty-seven in this section. He says, when worship leaders begin to think pastorally, we develop a heart and concern for how Christ's precious disciples are following Him beyond the weekly gathering into the other six days of the week. So that's the goal of some of the habit forming some of the um, love orienting things we're doing in a worship service. Our goal is we want to teach them how to pray Yeah. so that the other six days of the week, they're praying on their own. They're, they're not, not riding their bike. They're riding the bike with the training wheels. And then eventually those training wheels come off and they can pray on their own pretty good. And they learned that from how we're praying in the service, which by the way, if you want to hear more about that, That'll be in, I keep doing this, that'll be in uh, chapter five, worship pastor's prayer leader. 
coming out in like a month or something. And we're probably going to have a special guest for that one. So oh, yeah. looking forward to it. Special guest. His first name only has four letters and I've now boxed us in. We need to have somebody. <laughs> yeah. He already um, agreed. It's okay. We'll, we just have to figure out a time. He so. did. It'll be great. You, you don't want to miss it. But um, what I'm trying to say by that, it's like the goal is we help them through the worship service in a group setting. Um, they have examples of people behind them in the faith and examples of people way more spiritually mature than them all on the road trying to learn these things. And we are forming them into people who can pray, who can, yeah. Right. So last episode, kind of at towards the end, we talked about how we're both worship and discipleship pastors yeah. at our churches. So uh, Ryan, I just want to ask, like, how are you doing this as a disciple ship oh, no. minister? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, are there things that you're doing to help people connect um, with scripture, with God throughout yeah. the week, apart from the Sunday morning gathering? Some of the decisions we're making on a Sunday morning. Um, help go into this. So one of my biggest convictions in worship ministry that I just try to, to orient around is that um, scripture is powerful on its own. It doesn't need us to mediate for it. Now it's helpful to navigate scripture and to know and whatever. And like, right. yeah, it's not harmful to know stuff about scripture, but I think like God can work on his own through his own word, as well as through preaching, mm-hmm. which tries to make, certain ways of preaching, try to make points and justify them with scripture and just hope that you're right. Um, but so in that vein, I want to get people excited about scripture and scripture on its own without a mediator, without a professional pastor, like helping give you what it really means and, and uh, interpreting it for you. So a couple things we're doing. One, I try to read a scripture just about every week, yeah. whether it's a Psalm and it's a good like worship intro or something like that and just get you into scripture. Secondly, though, we have a guy at our church named Mark, and I love him to death. He's in his 60s, maybe. I don't know. Um, he served in children's ministry for a long time. I think I talked about this mm-hmm. guy before. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, it was one of your ministry ones, I think. Um, so we're talking about, for, we're preaching through First Samuel. And so he's about to read First Samuel uh, 3, the whole part with Samuel and Eli. That's why I was talking about this earlier. Uh, Samuel and Eli... Um, Samuel's living at the, that the temple or whatever, the temple's not built yet. Anyway, with Eli, the priest, um, and he keeps hearing at night while he's sleeping, Samuel, Samuel. And he's like, he goes into Eli's room. Hey, did you call me? And Eli, Eli's like, no, go back to bed. You twerp. <laughs> I added the twerp part. Um, and, uh, so eventually he's like, oh, it's God calling me. So Eli uh, says, Hey, say, speak Lord for your servant is listening. Mm-hmm. So Eli goes back. He hears his, Samuel goes back. He hears his name called. He says that. This guy's going to recite that whole thing. And, and the way he does it is with such, I I say urgency, just importance. Like this isn't a boring thing. Like I'm okay with anybody reading scripture on stage. There's no professional qualification you need, but if you get up there and you read, for God so loved the world. I call it like a reverential reading, right? Like you're, you're actually reading this like you have deep respect for what's yeah. actually there, you know. I I like to call it a uh sometimes I call it a dramatic scripture reading. Yeah, sure. I don't mean like drama like like No, but that's a good way to describe tea, it, a dramatic. Like, I mean like uh sometimes I call it an urgent scripture reading. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like like s- something will have happened if you read this scripture. Mm-hmm. Like it isn't an unimportant thing in your day. Like this will affect yeah, like there's some weight and some importance to right, it. Right. Anyway, so <laughs> having that guy read scripture that way, I've heard 
testimonies from people um, that are like, I've been inspired to get back into the Bible and read it for myself because of how exciting it yeah. seems, how important it seems because that guy reads it right. on stage on yeah. Sunday. That's awesome. And he memorizes it, mm-hmm. he, which I said before, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just always impressed with this dude. <laughs> He's the best and I love him so much. Um, but treating scripture that way um, and other things I do because of that, I try to read out of a physical Bible. Mm-hmm. I never put the Bible on the ground, right. kind of flag rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because I think like, oh, God won't be able to do something because I put the Bible on the ground. But like just trying to show people how I'm treating the Bible and let that trickle into what they understand about the Bible. Right. Those are some of the like discipleship things I'm trying to do in the same way that like you put the table in the middle of the room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. I mean, something we did over the quarantine time um, was we, on our Facebook group, we started a Facebook group and uh, every Monday after the, you know, we, we had our worship service on Sunday, every Monday we do a Monday night live where uh, yeah. our lead minister and myself, we would get on and we would just discuss even more in depth. We'd have people come on um, and chat and ask us questions so they could ask, you know, I more about what was happening. Um and we did that for a good few months and, you know, there was some good response from that. So, um, yeah, just trying to find little ways to connect people throughout the week to where you're not just leaving them there yeah. on Sunday, but you're actually finding ways to connect each, each day of the week if you can. I love that. My senior pastor asked me about that. Hey, you want to do a, like a live stream Monday afternoon or whatever, uh, or Monday evening or something like that or Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, you're gonna have to give me a raise if you want. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Uh, that's a great idea. Yeah. And I love that kind of stuff. Just extra engagement. That's why our church has a church podcast. Mm-hmm. And the more people in our church find it, the more they're like engaging with us in a personable way. They comment and we talk about it and it, it affects how we, yeah, it's, yeah. it's such a, yeah, it's a cool way to connect with them outside um, and, and try to expand those influences um, that can help disciple them throughout the week. So right. something um, else that I, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you're you. Good. Again. Something else that, I've been doing this year is, um, doing, going through the, the book of the Psalms in a year. Yeah. Um, so Tim Keller has a devotional, um, it's called the songs of Jesus Yeah. and it, it breaks it down, um, where you go through all the Psalms in a year. And so I've, I've been making a little graphic each week that has a reading plan for people, um, so that they have that. And that's something that they're engaging with throughout the week. Um, I actually got behind one week on that and, uh, with, with posting the graphic <laughs> yeah. and I had a lady come up in our church and, cause I didn't think anybody was really paying attention to it, but I had a lady yeah. come up the, the, like after the third week where it wasn't posted, she's like, are you going to keep posting that? And I was like, you're actually using that. That's awesome. So like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you never know, you know, how, how something's going to connect or, um, but yeah, if you're putting in the effort, like God will definitely use it. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, yeah, just having little things like that for somebody to, to do each day, you know, it might not, not necessarily connect with anything that you're doing on Sunday, but at least it's helping people guide, um, into scripture throughout the week. So. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you've liked this conversation today, please subscribe on uh, Apple podcast or Spotify, leave us a review. Yeah. Um, that helps more people find the stuff we're putting out. Um, and Great. we'd love to keep expanding this conversation. So right. um, just a reminder, if you have like ministry wins, if you have anything you want to say to us or whatever, I don't know, like Ryan, nice haircut, anything like that. Compliments. Complaints. We'll, we'll take the complaint. Yeah. I said compliments, not complaints. Oh, 
I'm Any, saying anything. complaints. <laughs> <laughs> anything, please uh, email us. I will complain if you give Ryan compliments and not me. And so. I'll compliment you if you give your mind complaints. <laughs> anything. Re- email us at respond. No, at podcast at respondworship.org. Oh, it up. No, yeah. Podcast yeah. at respondworship.org. Good job. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, this is Jeremiah and Ryan or Ryan and Jeremiah. Either way. Either way. And uh, thank you so much for joining in on this discussion with us. We'll see you next week when we dive into worship pastors, prayer leader. Yeah. Take care. See you then. Thank you for listening to the respond worship podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to our website and social media, follow and subscribe to keep up with new episodes and feel free to rate and review us. We want this to be the best possible resource for you and your team. So your feedback is extremely important. We also want to hear from you. Send us your questions, content suggestions, ministry wins, and stories, and we will gladly consider them for future episodes. Just email us at podcast at respondworship.org. That's podcast at respondworship.org. We look forward to welcoming you into another conversation in a couple of weeks. Take care. Wicka